and welcome to The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. This is episode 29. Firstly, apologies for the slight pause in episodes. It's really just been a season of busyness for me. Just one of those couple of months where there's just been heaps on. Uh, work things, fun things, and just needing to do a little bit of extra loving on some family and friends. So that's taken priority and podcasting has taken a little bit of a back seat, but I'm glad to be back into it. But first, let me tell you about a couple of the fun things that I've been doing because they do relate to this podcast. The first one is that I applied to the Anglican Deaconess Ministries for a grant for the Lydia Project and was really excited to be shortlisted. And what that involved was going down and spending a day in Sydney pitching the Lydia Project for some funding. And it was just such a fantastic day. There were 12 different women who were making similar pictures in different categories. So I got to hear about all these really creative and interesting ministries and evangelistic endeavours. There were just so many really interesting things that people were doing and it was a great day. The Lydia Project didn't win our category, but as part of the pitching process, being shortlisted meant that Anglican Deaconess Ministries gave a grant to the Lydia Project of $1,000, which was fantastic and I can't wait to spend it on some better equipment so the podcast sound quality will improve and also I'm thinking through how to use a bit of that money to make the Lydia Project podcast self-sustaining so I'm thinking about possibly getting an ad on so that the money from that can pay for a bit of editing help because I love doing the podcasting I love doing the interviewing but not so much the editing anyway a bit more for me to think about there the second fun thing that I've been doing that relates to this episode is that just last weekend I went on holiday to Cairns and at the end of the holiday I caught up with Simone Richardson who kindly drove me back to the airport and we had a little podcast interview in her car. Now so you don't get anxious as you're listening, I need to play you this. Once again, welcome aboard your Tiger Flight to Brisbane. The pilots today are Captain Ross Vanekirk and First Officer Jeffrey Johnson, together with your crew, Craig, Alicia and Joe. Your crew will now complete the safety demonstration for this flight. We would appreciate your full attention. That's so you know that I did make my flight because at a couple of points in the conversation, it wasn't necessarily obvious that that was actually going to happen. Anyway, in this conversation, Simone and I chat about what she's been reading and thinking about, and I'm sure you'll find it interesting and absorbing. I always find chatting to Simone absorbing and stimulating, and I particularly love that she just has this real passion for information and understanding new things, and she's a voracious reader and will read from all over the place, but especially when she's reading things from a secular viewpoint, I love that her brain is just always switched on as to how she can apply what she's learning to her work and to how to improve and understand things better that are going on within the church. So hope you enjoy listening to this conversation that we had. Now Simone, you were saying some really interesting things about education, because I know you're thinking a lot about that, but about metrics. Yes. So you're currently studying a maths and statistics. I am. I'm doing graduate diploma in maths and statistics, which is just ridiculous amounts of fun. And I guess as um, from there, I've been doing quite a bit of data analysis of my school's data. 
and have found some really interesting things. But it's got me thinking about um, metrics for church and how we measure. I guess I guess the thing that that numbers can tell us is how well we're going. If we can actually. Um, think about what it is that we want to achieve in an organization and find some way to quantify that so that we can we can measure it and see if we're achieving our goals. So we do that in the business world all the time. Totally. But we don't do it at churches so much. Well, there, there's a saying in the business world that if, if you value something, you'll measure it. And I guess in church we do, there are some metrics that, that we keep very diligently. Um, my denomination uh, demands every year that we um, give our numbers how many how many people are at church every Sunday so we keep careful records of those and we can track it over the different seasons of the year uh, and also we you know we have the metric of how much money people put in the plate yes. and, and lots of churches do other totally. kind of measures like membership or baptism that's right or numbers of people at your AGM that's one that is, is kept yep. track of and or members of Bible, study, Bible groups. study groups. That's yep. right. So I guess though those are. I just wonder if we could do more than that, mm. um, because I guess what we're trying to do at church is not just have bumps on seats, but have um, actually have actually growth in faith and godliness. And how how you measure that though is difficult. But it would be it would be interesting if we tried to tried to work out how to how, some ways that we can measure that so that we, if we can see that, um, that that we're actually achieving or not what we what we're setting out to achieve so the national church life survey does a subjective analysis of growth so it does a, it does it certainly puts out a survey um, and there are some things that are, are done through that but I, I guess they're not they're not necessarily in line exactly with what our church's stated goals and and mission is. So it would be nice if it, that could be done more locally, I guess. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So what would be people's um, objections to this, do you reckon? Well, I mean... It just sounds odd, doesn't it? Measuring Measuring growth, growth in godliness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, to it totally does, but it could be quite encouraging if you look at it over long, long term and get people to reflect on it. So I don't actually know how you would do it, but I think it would be something that I'd like to put some time into thinking about and not just kind of things like Bible reading habits, like, yeah, that, that's something that would be kind of easy to measure, mm. but a bit, a bit more than that, I guess. Um, yeah. And what about um, sermons? Because they're a big part of church life and a big part of how people grow. Yeah, I guess though, I, 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 we measure how much people are learning from sermons. One of the problems with asking people how much they're learning is that what people say is actually a really unreliable measure of, of reality. Yeah. So, for instance, if you ask somebody, you know, a student, how much they're, how much they're learning, um, that there's, yeah, it, it's just notoriously unreliable because mm. we're lazy mm. and we like to we like to shortcut um, with things. So anything that makes us work too hard, if like it, it would be terrible if people um, judged sermons by how much they enjoyed listening to them. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> 
Yeah. Whereas that certainly is one measure because if people are so bored with it, they're not listening at all. Obviously, that's that's bad. Yep. Yeah. How's our recording going? Is yeah, yeah. Technology's working. Yeah. Well, who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> it worked. Um, so we were, something we were talking about earlier. Sorry, desirable difficulties. Oh yes, I was going to ask you about this. So this is this is just only only related because it's about sermons, but I find it fascinating because it is such a good phrase, and it's the first time I've heard it. Tell me about desirable difficulty when okay, it comes so to Okay, so I think that this is so I've been reading about it in um, some education research that I've been reading. Um, I think it's by a guy called Bjork, B J O R K. Um, he's an education researcher. He talks about this um, in order to learn, okay, it actually requires you to think. Um, but being lazy, we often don't like to think. So good, good teaching has to, you can't actually make it too easy for students. Because if you make it too easy for them, they won't remember anything and yet they like it when it's easy. So there's, you've got this kind of paradox you're working, you're working with. Um, so you need to, to it, it needs to be difficult, but the right amount of difficult in order to make you switch on your brain and work hard at it. Because we remember what we think hard about. And so I guess in sermons, so if I'm relating this piece of education research to sermons, mm. the sermon needs to make us think hard if we are really going to remember it long term. So just having kind of sweet and pretty words that are, are fun to listen to probably aren't going to make the stuff actually hit our long term memories. So, yeah, so I mean, when you said that before, like it just made me think about sermons where I have to grapple I feel like I have to grapple with some of the difficulties in the Bible passage or um, think hard about I think grapple is a good word yeah I, I, I think that that's where but the tendency is it's it's a Sunday morning or it's a Sunday evening or whatever and I think it's Sunday morning and people have had trouble getting the kids you know rounding them all up and getting them into the car and it's 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 hard work to, to get there and then you want the minister to dish up something that's it's easy listening um, but maybe that's not actually the best way to promote learning and I guess long-term change so that I, I like the word grapple because it doesn't sound like it's it's boring it's, it's not that it's it's not that it's boring but we need you, you need to be have your brain turned on and engaged with what's going on yeah which is probably why um, you know, uh, one of the kind of good frameworks for a talk or a sermon is the um, the opening paragraph that raises a problem. You know, what what is what is the question that the passage is asking, or what is the problem that the passage is addressing, and and you try and address or raise that question in the introduction, and then everyone is listening because they want to. Well, try te and technically, but often the the question that's raised isn't all that much of a question. Yeah. Like it's it's a yeah, and I. I guess you get used to the the genre of yeah, sermon yeah, yeah. where there's going to be a problem and then Just we're wait going for it to be solved for me. yeah <laughs> that's right so yeah. maybe maybe even changing it up a little bit so that the 
so so that it's unexpected even the structure of it's unexpected is that that may be that that may be good something to think about i guess Cairns Airport is big. Look at this car park. Cairns Airport is an international airport. <laughs> I will have you know. This no, is but seriously, I didn't realise this on the way in. It's actually, it's actually really uh, quite big. This is not like Townsville Airport. <laughs> Just need to bring in a little bit of the Cairns Townsville thing. We have a proper airport here. You really do. We do, and we're going. Are to we going to have to pay for parking? <laughs> uh, yeah, except we're not going to. There's, ah, a, there's a sneaky, excellent, a sneaky spot we're going to. Why am I not surprised? I've done the airport drop-off before. Excellent. Okay, so what are we talking about next? Oh, well, look, what are we talking about next? What are you reading at the moment apart from statistics books and maths and helping senior students through their English assignments? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, really just quite focused on my study this week. I've got my final exam um, tomorrow for the semester and um yeah so what but what am i reading i'm actually reading lots of education research actually apart from yeah so apart from my study stuff um and i guess i've become quite fascinated with how we learn and what learning actually is so what, what do you reckon tori what do you reckon learning is oh i'm gonna give such a simple answer i reckon learning is Acquiring understanding. Hmm. Not bad. Not Thanks. bad. Uh, learning, how do you like this definition? Learning is a change in long-term memory. So if you, you know, can recite something today but can't tomorrow, have you actually learnt it? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> Not really. So um, it's about having stuff move move into our long-term memory so that we can access it yep. uh, when when we need it. So I guess that could be theology or it could be deep truths about God. Um, so the thing about long, long-term memory is that it's, it is there and it's automatic. Um, and it doesn't... Using things that are in our long-term memory, for example, knowing that half plus a quarter equals three quarters. That didn't take any thought. That's in my long-term memory. That's there. I guess um, if we have the truths of the gospel in our long-term memory um, that are just, that it's just there and automatic, that's what we, that's what we want. So this is something I've actually been thinking about because I think sin actually sometimes works to dull that memory or make it harder Mm. to access. I don't know. Yeah. Just because um, when I'm reading passages that have been so familiar, I've been a Christian for 20 lots of years, (laughs) 20 lots, um, probably about 30 years now, a passage that's really familiar, but I sort of forget about it in the day-to-day or when I read it again, it's only been a year or whatever since I've read it, it's... It's new to me, and I think it must be. Like I think it's. I think there's a role that sin plays there. I think of sin as fog. Yeah. Actually, yeah. that kind of In memory. Um, I think of it. So we have our working memory and our long-term memory. I reckon. I the way I imagine sin is that it's a clouding of our of our short-term memory. So it's kind of introduces fog over everything. Yeah. So stuff that we do know becomes hard to access. Mm. Um, the 
yeah, we, we forget how to retrieve it. It's not that it's still not there, mm. but you've got this kind of whole lot of noise getting in the way, maybe. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Tori's plane, by the way, is leaving in 45 minutes. <laughs> and she's, we're, we're just parked kind of outside of the airport. And, oh, look, um, it's power podcasting. <laughs> it is, totally. Hey, can I tell you something interesting, though? Yes. You're, people might be interested in this. I'm fascinated by it. So being a teacher, as I am, um, what is the point of education? Okay, we've got, I, somebody's explained this, and yeah. I've just read it recently. I think yeah. it's fascinating. Okay, imagine four quadrants. Yep. This is the stuff that education could be about. So in quadrant one, top top right, yep. we have... Oh, sorry, I'm trying to put my window down. Oh, well. Yeah, that one may or may not work. Yep. Um, that one does. Yeah. Um, so top right, we've got a uh, student-centred approach to education. So student education is really about the student finding themselves. And the student sets the agenda on what they want to learn and all of that kind of stuff. You can tell by the way that I'm talking about that's really not that's really not me. Okay, quadrant number two, top left, we have kind of the academic scholar model where education is about imparting knowledge in particular domains. Um, and then in quadrant three, bottom left, down there, we've got, this is an interesting one, education um, being, uh, what teachers are doing in school is fulfilling a, fulfilling a job for their client. So the client might be society and it might be equipping students to fulfill the roles that society needs them to do. So it's not that you've got any particular things you want to teach them, your job is to do what you're told and and you, you do that. Mm -hmm. And um, the fourth quadrant is education for social reconstruction. So it's education to kind of right the social wrong. So uh, fix up inequality issues and um, it's, 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 it's education with an agenda, I guess. Yep. I reckon a lot of Christian schools actually sit in that fourth quadrant. So their agenda is to, I don't know, raise raise Christian kids so yeah. do this with the raise children with this particular worldview yep. so that the cause of Christ will be continued or, or whatever um, I'm not there I, I, I think I've been kind of thinking about oh yeah why I don't even though I want to see society change why that I think is fundamentally not what I think education's for where do you reckon you would sit oh interesting oh Maybe sort of the top two, but don't know. And it probably would change depending on what type of education. Yeah. Um, don't know. Yeah, so I'm, I'm quadrant two, the academic scholar. I think, and I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, I reckon, and this is why I'm happy to send my kids to state schools. Yep. Um, I think I want them to learn maths by people who are excellent at maths. I want them to learn learn literature by people who love literature. I want them to learn history. I want them to learn music, you know, and I, I guess I see education as Adam in the garden, naming the plants and exploring, exploring the world. I see education as uh, Solomon in, what is it, 1 Kings chapter 4, when he's becoming an expert in plants and in things that grow on, what was that verse? It, it's just he's a biologist yeah. and that's what his thing is and I think that that's a human thing that just 
understanding the world in all of its beauty and wonder and seeing the, the elegance of a maths equation. I, I guess, I'm, I reckon education is, is about that for me. And I reckon if you focus on that and doing that really, really well, you'll actually achieve the other things as well. Really? See, that's controversial. So, I reckon if you do that, I don't think that you help students' well-being by focusing on students' well-being and their personal growth. Yeah, but if you but get them engaged with the world, yep. finding yourself in the world happens. Push back on me. Go on. Well, the last quadrant about writing inequalities. Yeah. I mean, where does the whole person come in? Where does kindness come in? Well... I reckon, this is why I think if you'd study literature really well, if you study Shakespeare... Oh, I think it's idealistic. Yes, of course it's idealistic. <laughs> um, but if you... So I notice this when I'm, um, I'm a music teacher. When, I, when our kids sing a song that is really, really good with rich, beautiful lyrics, we sing a lot of hymns um, because yeah. of the sort of music program we run. A lot of Christmas carols and they engage with that stuff they come across the fallenness of people and I guess the complexities of human life and there's so much beauty and so much mess and engaging with it deeply I think gives you the it gives you a picture of what could be which I think helps you on your own work out your social agenda to fix things so one of my kids has an English teacher who is wildly left-wing and basically preaches to them all lesson. So I was telling this, um, I was telling these four quadrants to my son. He said, he's there, he's in that box. Yep. He is totally in that box, but it gets really boring just being preached to. Everything is about, I don't know, whatever your, whatever your social cause is. Yep. And that's not reading. That's not what reading literature is about. Like read the literature. Mm. I, I think I'm going to have to take you to your plane. I think, yeah, your, I'm just um, like, if it takes plane. five minutes to walk from there to there. But I had another question. What was yes, it? Yes, um, ask away. Education. Oh, well, I can't remember now. Oh, have I how just, about, yeah. I have just, <laughs> going the wrong way, down this a one-way street. This is what happens when you try and podcast <laughs> and drive at the same time. Let that um, yeah. be a lesson. Let's, it's a one-way street. Let's stick going that way. Awesome. Okay, what was your question? Oh, um, well, how does those four models of education then fit into Christian education in terms of thinking church education, teaching the gospel, um, encouraging? I reckon, Christian so I, I think about this all the time um, with my kids because I, I actually spend an amount of time that would surprise most people on Christian lyrics um, with, with my kids and at, at school when I'm teaching right. them. Yep. And I, I guess I think that reading, learning to read really well and engage with a text on its own terms yep. um, is uh, and, and appreciate beauty yep. and thinking logically and reading deeply and I guess kindly as well. So what is the what is the writer really trying to say here? I think that's actually really good preparation for for hearing the gospel. Yes, but obviously they do need to hear the gospel oh, from someone. Totally, somewhere. totally. But I also I, like to think that they're hearing it in the songs we're singing Joy yeah. to the World at the yeah, moment. Yeah. And um, yeah, the kids ask, what does it mean that somebody asked what Christ meant the other day, which was a fun one, but yeah. 
he comes to make his blessings flow as far as what is it as far as guilt is found or something like yeah. that this is good stuff but yes they do absolutely need to need to hear the gospel yes no i think my question was of those four segments in the quadrants which one is um church education it's, it's interesting because there's different philosophies i think that um Anglicans see education as a social good and seeing it as so Anglican schools are built on a different philosophy than than other kind of um, Christian schools. So in an in an Anglican in in an Anglican school, they're often quite unapologetic that what they're trying to do is teach really well. That's that's their a, a really important thing that just teaching well and, and seeing that as an end in itself. Um, so they, they are much more quadrant two. I'm tiger air if there's different no, I don't think. to drop. Okay, cool. Tiger air. I know. Take your life in your hands. Um, <laughs> Won't you feel bad if I have a crack? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, schools that try and push a, a conservative agenda or a, or a, a whatever agenda is, is probably quadrant four. I think a school... Uh, I see a lot of Christian schools advertising Quadrant One. We're all about your child. There's one yeah, yeah. Uh, that really gets on my nerves near me that has a big sign up, uh, something or other, Christian College. We believe your child can. <laughs> that's their statement of faith, that your child can. But that's just buying into marketing stuff. Oh, isn't it? That's oh all it about is. But and... the word believe yes. with Christians, yes. I would think that we wouldn't use it. I'd like to think that we wouldn't use it yeah. quite as. Oh, tackily as that and also it's it's we believe that your white yeah. Yeah, middle class stable family child yeah. can um and that's yeah. why you want to get them out of away from the poor kids because they can't but your child can Ugh, there's something a bit yuck about that anyway you have to that's go catch not your, a great note to leave it's it on. really not but, but it's been very stimulating talking to you as always Simone. lots of fun Tori. and perhaps food for thought for people who are listening even though it has been a bit all over the shop it has um, stimulating always <laughs> a pleasure um i hope tiger air doesn't fall out of the sky yeah me too yeah thanks yeah bye